This is the Frontier Podcast, powered by Gun.io, the engineer's choice for engineering talent. If you like what you hear, rate, review, and subscribe, and follow us on Twitter at The Frontier Pod. Communities are people who not only share common principles, but who also develop and share practices that help individuals in the group thrive. DevRel means building communities for technical audiences. If you want to know about DevRel and community building, you need to know about Mary Thangval and her host of curated, authored, and spoken content covering all of these critical topics. Mary and Ledge talk authenticity, career paths, relationships, and much more in this deep dive episode. Mary, it's awesome to have you on. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, Ledge. I appreciate it. So if you don't mind, uh, for those who don't know, you're, I mean, you're totally famous and everybody should know you, <laughs> but if they don't, would you please give a two or three minute you know, introduction of you and your work? Sure thing. So my name is Mary Thingwell. Um, I am at Mary underscore Grace on Twitter. Um, I've been involved in developer communities, technical communities for a little over 10 years now, um, working with a variety of companies from O'Reilly Media to Chef Software to SparkPost. Uh, and these days I'm doing some consulting and contracting with companies on my own. Um, my company is called Persea Consulting, and it's I'm I have a couple goals. My my first goal is to provide resources for folks in the developer relations or technical community building industry. Um, there's not a ton of resources out there, and I really want to help folks who are in that career path um, be successful and set them up for success, not only personally but also help their companies set them up for success on those teams. So that's kind of my goal these days. Um, I have a book that got released last year called The Business Value of Developer Relations. Uh, I put out a weekly newsletter called Devra Weekly. Um, I have a podcast of my own called Community Pulse. So if you're involved in or interested in uh, developer relations and community building, you you might have heard of me or known what I do. Um, though I have to say it is it is a funny switch with the book being out and being more public with my resources these days to go from like, you know, I know a lot of people from community building and I have a lot of one-on-one relationships to people knowing who I am. It's a, I, I'm not used to that. It's a weird switch. <laughs> and anybody that doesn't get your newsletter, I mean, if you want to know anything about DevRel, like, I mean, it, you make an encyclopedia every week on email. <laughs> it's sometimes so much stuff that I need to click the link at the bottom to get the full email. Yes, so yes. I mean, I, I gotta, I gotta say, like, mad props. This thing is legit. I learn a ton of stuff. Almost all of my Twitter followers, you know, I just like, I control click down your list <laughs> and follow all those people. You know, I mean, you, you got it. You got it. I don't know when you ever do any work <laughs> for the amount of work it must be to curate all of that stuff. There's, there's so, a lot of automation in place. Automation is my friend. As they say in the South, bless your heart, because that is a legit amount oh, of work. You. Okay, so DevRel, you know, this, okay, DevRel, magic, you know, sort of new, important thing that's not really, you know, new, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And and we were kind of talking off mic about that. I, I think that is a great topic. So I know from your book, because I read a good portion of it, I haven't finished it yet, but that, there's, um, 
I don't know, a little Venn diagram, mm-hmm. I guess, of, you know, what, what is now called DevRel comes from historically a bunch of things. So let's, let's sure. start there. So I, I kind of like starting a step back from there. Um, and before we define developer relations, I like to define community. So community, to me, the definition that I use is a group of people who not only share common principles, but also develop and share practices that help individuals in the group thrive. So it's this idea of people who come together out of shared interests or shared needs, but really have each other's best interests at heart, right? And so they're they're motivated to help, motivated to share resources, motivated to, to help each other succeed. Um, and developer relations, at the end of the day, the, the kind of TLDR is really just building communities for technical audiences. So instead of a, a knitting community or a mom's community, it's, you know, a community of people who use Django or a community of people who are Ruby enthusiasts or a community of people around chef software or a, a different open source platform, things like that. Right. Um, so that's kind of the, the basic definition is it's, it's building communities for, for technical audiences. I wonder, you know, how, does community building reach the level of, you know, sort of weightiness that it becomes a job, you know, where like we all know it's kind of like important mm-hmm. and feels good, but it's a hard thing to put your finger on the pulse much the same way as, you know, why in God's name would a you know company pay some dude like me to sit on a <laughs> podcast and talk, you know, and, and, and yet we know that there are, reaching or, you know, far reaching sort of tendrils that go out and, and relationships, you know, super matter. But I, I would love your, your take on that because all of us DevRel technology advocate, you know, random dude on podcast, you know, have to answer the question right. of ROI, you know, and, but we get paid money to do Absolutely. this stuff mm-hmm. and why. And, and I know that you have insights. Yeah, so on there's, that. there's a couple different reasons why companies tend to start communities. Um, and it really depends on the, the goals of the company. So for open source companies or open source products, it's a fairly logical conclusion, right? We need someone who can help, manage and and build this group of open source maintainers. We need someone to really um, get behind the the community of people who are interested in our product and are contributing back to our product, someone who can talk to them and interface with them and kind of uh, not only manage, but build relationships with this, this group of individuals who really is helping to build the future of our product. Um, but then you've also got companies that have APIs, let's say, um, where it's not, you know, maybe they don't even have an open source side of their product, but they have a a good number of people who are using their product who are developers, right? The end users are are developers, people who are building with the APIs. And it might be that they have a secondary audience of uh, marketers or director level folks or whoever is another user of of the product. But if you've got an API, you've got developers that are interfacing with that. And, and a big part of it is companies are starting to recognize in order to stand out these days, you know, there's, there's probably five or six companies for the same API idea, right? And in order to stand out, it's not just enough to have flashy marketing or a snazzy looking API or the latest and greatest software. You need the, the feedback from the community. You need to have those conversations and understand what resources are people looking for? What needs are we trying to meet? What problems are we trying to solve in order to be able to actually implement that feedback? 
And it's not as easy as calling up, you know, your local developer and going, hey, have you tried our product? And what do you think? You know, like you've got to actually build a relationship with them to a point where they're willing to sit down and talk to you and give you honest feedback about the product. Yeah, developers, developers can really smell you know, a salesperson coming a mile away, you know, and as, as someone who sold to developers for many, many years, you know, like, I mean, there is no audience that is more attuned to authenticity or the lack thereof than the developer community. So, you know, I can completely appreciate that. And it's not even in a, you know, well, what can you do for me kind of way? There's almost no transaction to it. You know, it's an entirely authentic, relationship that that our technical brethren you know really require and i think that's that's been an important thing in developer development of of our business you know tens of thousands of developers have something and i think that's where the authenticity really comes into play and that's that's one of the few pieces that really set developer relations apart from other community building exercises and community building teams is in order to be fully authentic you have to have people who at the very least, are tech savvy. Um, And, you know, all the way from I can handle a a fairly technical conversation because I understand the greater pieces and where where everything fits into the bigger picture, all the way to, you know, people who have been developers in past lives who can sit down and and write code side by side with a a potentially new customer. Um, But then there's this, this third set of companies as well that are starting to get these developer relations teams and building these communities which are interesting because they're fully proprietary products um, and their their purpose, their intention isn't so much to get people using their platform or get people contributing back to their platform. It's more of understanding the, the needs of the community to improve their product and also to be able to provide generic resources around a specific topic so that their audience is more successful in their day-to-day jobs. Um, and this is something that I did back at O'Reilly Media in the day. You know, we weren't, we were selling books, we were selling conference tickets and that's fine, but it was more, we, we want to be promoting these principles. We want to be promoting these ideas. And so, you know, part of my job as the community manager there, when, when I started the program was to go out and just talk to the thought leaders, talk to the people who are speaking at the conferences, talk to our authors, find out from them, you know, who are you listening to? Who are, whose blogs are you reading? What podcasts are you subscribed to? All of those types of conversations so that we understood, you know, here's here's the the insights, here are where the, the leaders are, here are the, the new thoughts and new ideas that are coming out so that we could be providing resources for those topics to better serve our community. And so it was less about uh, sales, even less about sales than Devrel ever is, um, <laughs> but less about sales and far more about, you know, how do we, how do we better serve our community? How do we better serve? How do we better meet their needs? How do we better, um, provide resources so that we're empowering them to be more successful in their business? All of which sounds like, you know, what I would have, you know, maybe in my, uh, business school brain, you know, kind of go, well, duh, that's part of the marketing function. And I think right, what right. sets DevRel technical advocacy, you know, all the sort of the names around that that space apart is that, that we just live in a world where the the technical know-how is such a, a critical component. And yeah. um, because we have a, a set of community members that will 
just kind of turn their nose up at messaging if in fact it doesn't scratch the technical itch and and get back to that right. authenticity. So in that way it's a it's an overlap yeah. of functions that didn't have to exist. You know, there was there was no way to do it. You it's know, true. and when I started as a developer, right. you know, it was totally cool and expected that we would be in the basement with the lights off, you know, kind of <laughs> with the lights from the monitor only thing on our, on our faces uh, and the, you know, fire marshal right. would go, you got to move all these servers out of the dusty hallway here. And, you know, and, and mm -hmm, never, mm -hmm. ever, ever talk to a customer. I mean, forget about it. The users were right upstairs, right. but <laughs> you weren't going to talk to them. Yeah. And uh, that's not right. a thing anymore. And that's, yeah. that's only 10 well, years ago. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. And it's interesting to me, especially, you know, there's, I've had a number of conversations lately where people are like, well, but like, is developer relations really necessary? And, and my answer is, is twofold. First of all, you know, the marketing is, is a big piece of it. Product is a big piece of it. Customer success and user experience and all of those things are a big piece of it. But, and, and all of those departments in a, in a company that is truly customer focused, all of those departments are talking to customers, right? But the developer relations team is the only team that their first top priority is that community. Their only priority is that community. And it is, they're the only team that has only that focus, right? And so, and of course, you know, they understand we need to pay the bills. Things have to be up and running still, but they're the only team that isn't split. You know, marketing is split between branding and customer awareness and lead generation. Product is split between, you know, well, we have to please our, our big name customers and push these products out. Engineering has a focus on we have to meet our deadlines. We have to get these things launched. Customer success wants to be clearing as many support tickets out, right? Whereas developer relations can look at that as a whole, as a big picture and go, Okay, yes, we need to we need to provide resources for our enterprise clients, but also here's a different pro problem that's affecting free clients as well as mid-range customers as well as enterprise clients that isn't as flashy, isn't as as exciting as this other new feature is, but impacts more people. And I'm hearing this from, you know, customers across the board. And if we fix this, we won't, you, we can reduce churn and we can help these other customers have a better experience. Sure. And, you know, so it's, it's that perspective and that context that they bring to the table that really makes them unique in the company. Is this an enduring phenomenon or is this, you know, sort of the five-year solution for like, we know that all those things come together and there's a missing connective tissue. And today we're going to call that DevRel, but right. you know, five right. years from now, does the, you know, it's almost like that level of, of empathy and organization needs to just percolate to all the other jobs. So, you know, is, mm -hmm. is DevRel the temporary name and solution for what ought to have been a better, more authentic disposition for all those functions? Right. I love that question. Um, I think there's definitely a chance that it could be. Um I completely agree that it's the connective tissue, right? It's the it's the department that can sit and listen in on a product and engineering launch meeting and then go back to marketing and go, okay, cool. Here's how we should be positioning this. And here is what an effective way would be to talk to our community about this. Or this is a breaking change. And we're the ones that are owning the communication between marketing and product and engineering to make sure it gets out to our audience the right way. 
which um, used to be called, so you know, crisis management and PR and communications and media and all of which Absolutely. were, you know, marketing might be a little like, y'all, you're taking our thunder here. Like, this is what mm-hmm. we do. And in fact, I've talked mm-hmm. to companies that have, you know, the community manager and the podcast kind of separate, but then always oh, we also have this DevRel thing. Well, we really want to build a community around our API and we're not kind of sure how to do that. And, and I'm mm-hmm. kind of going, that's, that's really interesting. I know a book you should read. Right. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, and there's also this idea of, you know, these days marketing is largely lead generation. Like those are the metrics that they're, that they're judged on. And we almost need to go back to the original style of marketing with mom and pop shops in the little tiny towns where get to know everyone in the town mm-hmm. and you accommodate people's needs and you listen to people's problems and you're part therapist and part coach and part salesperson and, you know, and you, and you work across the board to make sure that everyone's needs are met. And because of that, you are the general store in town and everyone comes to you for all of their needs. Right. And so there's, there's that aspect of it. Um, but ultimately, and this is a conversation I've had with a few companies who say, is DevRel really necessary? And I go, you know what, if your product team is having regular meetings with your marketing team and your marketing team has technically savvy people on it. And if your marketing team is working with your engineering team to run any of the, the marketing ads and things past the eng team to make sure that that's a good fit for that audience, which, you know what, happens to sit right next to you and you can run things past them. Um, and they're all working with sales to make sure that you're selling to the right people and promoting to the right areas and all of those things, then Maybe it's not necessary, especially if your engineering team is willing to be out and speaking or writing blog posts and engaging with a technical audience. But there are very few companies that are, A, willing to do that and B, able to do that. And so I think that need for connective tissue is always going to be there. And there's going to be some companies that do it so well that you don't need one point person to kind of oversee that. But I think without any sort of community management and without someone who has that, that community at the forefront of their mind at all times, there's, there's always a risk of the community not coming first and always a risk of missing voices or missing perspectives or not being able to build as deep of a relationship that's going to result in those connections that are made between community members as well as internally to your coworkers. Yeah, this takes a really nuanced sort of view of, you know, it's almost like, well, who gets the privilege to walk around the company and connect all the dots in a non-executive seat? You know, wait a second, you know, this could have been chief of staff before, you know, like all of a sudden we are, we're elevating a really ethereal thing to a great deal of authority and non-positional kind of power. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on there that you could you could tip off a, a political, you know, sort of uh, feelings of well, that's my job or well, that's part mm-hmm. of my. Why why do you get to do that? And you know, right. why do I not get to do that? And I imagine you see some some chilliness, you know, when yes. trying to figure these problems out. There's a lot you of territorial can. stuff. Definitely, definitely. And you you said something interesting. You said a non-positional place of power, right? So that's that's one of the issues that I've been seeing more and more lately is, you know, these 
community managers or developer advocates or head of developer relations or whatever the title is, they're brought in 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 this, you know, you're the expert in the Java community. You're the expert in the um, incident response communities. You're the DevOps expert, whatever expert of the of the or whatever community they are an expert in. They're brought in with that level of you know this community better than anyone, and yet they aren't given a seat at the table. They aren't given that power to really engage with the leadership. And so it does become this somewhat ethereal, what are you doing and how are you doing it? And why are you taking that work away from my team and that success away from my team? Because they aren't given the power, they aren't given the the ability to do their job successfully, right? So they aren't set up for success within the company. And that's been one of my big goals with my consulting firm is is figuring out how do we set these teams up for success within the company. And part of it is giving them the proper titles. Um, I had a fascinating conversation a few months ago with a client who was looking to bring on a head of developer relations. And, you know, they would be reporting to a C-suite individual and they were fleshing out the rest of the company and they had um, other VPs that they're peers with, you know, a peer with VP of engineering, a peer with VP of product, and yet it was a head of developer relations role. And I went back to them and I went, well, so why is this only a head of role and not a VP role? Why, why the distinction in titles, right? And the answer was, well, because we don't have a fully fleshed out team underneath them and company policy is, you know, we have to have this many people reporting up to them. I went, okay, great, but A, those are your arbitrary roles that you've set in place. And B, if you bring someone in and say, you're at a peer level with, with these other individuals, but they're not a director level, they're not a VP level, they're only a head head of level, then they aren't going to have the authority to come into those same meetings and say, we shouldn't do this. That'll be damaging to the community. Or if we move in this direction, that's going to undermine the trust, the authenticity that my team has built up. And so it's been interesting to watch as as people go, oh, yeah, no, these people are experts and bring them in and they should run the team. But we aren't going to give them the same level of authority as as everyone else has. And so it's been a fascinating conversation to sit down and say, look, if if you're telling me you really do value the community and you value the voice of the community and you recognize that the community is necessary for the success of your company, then put someone into a role where they have the power and the authority to impact that success. And if you don't, then you can't expect to get the same types of returns that you're looking for. Well, there's no traditional organizational construct that would tell you what you just described in that role, mm-hmm. What which C-level does it report to? Right. It's a combination of all those things. Yep. And that's a lot of power to put under something somewhere Mm -hmm. it's terrifying for someone that you know would sort of go well i do that important slice right right and you know i value that and so but then you have this cross-functional weird disaster on your org chart that has a bunch of dotted lines and (laughs) you know all this hybrid blah 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 and it's it's an interesting thing Mm -hmm. it's it reminds me of what happened to you know the cio when the the cmo and marketing tool sets all got really really powerful it killed off the cio because that that used to be you know their domain, and that's what makes me wonder what would kind of what's the future yeah. look like? You know, you can't end up with a chief of True. everything True. officer, you know, and um, that 
that is interesting. Also, I think that traditionally speaking, you would look at CEOs that rose out of the customer focus mm. functions would have overseen right. a thing like this. So then you got a direct report all the yeah. way to the top. And that that's uh this is what VPs of special projects and your Google X's yeah. and all kinds of stuff. You don't need to report to anybody. You can do whatever you want. And here's a blank <laughs> check. And nobody no. likes to not no. be that no. person. So yeah, you're you're up against mm-hmm. some organizational well and it's it's an evolution there. of of the org structure, right? Like we don't know what to do with them. So how do we figure this out? But if they are, you know, a three-person team that reports to a manager who reports to a director who reports to a VP who reports to a C-suite folks, then, but you're saying that community is a priority for the company, but that community team is buried five people down. No one's going to listen to them. They're not going to be involved in the budget meetings. They're not going to be involved in the strategy meetings. And so how does their... Right. Whose budget? Exactly. What, I mean, exactly. whose budget are we under? I mean, that's what yeah. it really comes down to, right? You know, it's like, well, three, four, five people who go and talk all the time. Like, whose and budget think, is that? So that's actually <laughs> a very, very good uh, representation of how a lot of people see developer relations, right? Is, well, it's just the people that go talk all the time. So what value does that give to the company? And this is one of the things that I've been working with with a lot of companies on is, don't don't focus on your work output. Focus on the value that you're contributing back, and make sure that you're not only exhibiting. You know, hey, we traveled this much in the last quarter. Make sure you're pointing out we we traveled, sure, but during that travel, we met this many community members. We increased developer awareness by this much. We uh, wrote these blog posts. We contributed this much direct traffic to the site. We, you know, fixed these bugs that were, or reported these bugs. We brought all of this feedback back, right? Don't, don't focus on the things that are the most flashy, no matter how tempting that might be. Because, I mean, you know, the, the CFO is going to look at that quarter report and go, great, we spent $200,000 shipping you all over the country or all over the world. What good mm-hmm. did it do for us? Right. right? And you hit on the main thing is the data tracking of these functions that are kind of on the edge of misunderstood areas. It's the hardest data to track. Right. It's the reason nobody ever tracked the data in the first place, which resulted (laughs) in these things not being managed, which resulted in there being a hole in what we were trying to fill with human effort and expertise. Uh, But that still doesn't solve the problem of how, do you manage the impact of a thing mm-hmm. that we know is important, but we can't really smell it? You know, right? <laughs> right. Well, and that's part of the reason that I cover this. Um, I have a whole chapter about metrics in the book. Um, but one of the bigger things that I that I really, really tell people to focus on is this concept of Libby boxes, um, and it's basically just a, a, a flow chart structure to figure out. Cool. Here's my overarching goal for this quarter. How do I how do I break that down into here's my goal here's the um, generic ways I could possibly have impact toward that goal here's the more gen, you know a little bit more specific ways that I could have an impact on those those uh, fluid ancillary things and then here's how I know whether or not I'm successful um, and the nice thing about those four boxes is you can start at either side. So if, if your CEO comes down and says, hey, 
this quarter, your main goal is developer awareness. You can go, great, plug that into the upper right box, work our way down, figure out, okay, cool, we have to do increased developer awareness. Here's our specific work output that's going to drive that goal forward. And internally within your team, you talk about the work output all the time, right? But as you're working your way up through the company and talking to the different stakeholders, you don't sit there and go, well, we increased developer awareness by speaking at eight conferences and attending six meetups and you know writing this many blog posts. You say, here's the impact that we had. Here's the conversations that we had. Here's the observations we brought back. Here's the feedback we provided internally. Here's all the connections that we made from community members internally to the company, you know, you you phrase it and you have that storytelling ability to to phrase it in a way that makes sense to stakeholders throughout the company and that helps them understand not only you're doing your jobs and you're doing a lot of work, but you're doing work that is relevant and important and drives the company goals forward. And likewise, if someone comes to your team and goes, great, this next quarter, you have to attend six meetups a month and you go, well, why? What's what's the point, right? I can I can just cherry pick six meetups, get them done in you know the next six business days. If you live in a place like San Francisco where there's eight meetups a night, 12, 20, I don't even know how many meetups a night, um, and pick random meetups and attend all of them and check that box and say, well, I attended six meetups, right? Job done. I'm successful now. Um, or you can sit there and go, okay, by attending meetups, what what goal am I trying to achieve? Am I trying to increase developer awareness? Am I trying to get feedback on our new product? Am I trying to um, find community members who are super passionate about this to find influencers in these areas that we can connect with down the road? Like you can work your way backward through those boxes and then come up with an overarching goal and then go back to your manager or the C-suite that, that dictated that metric down and go, hey, so through attending these meetups, Here's the goal that we're pushing forward. And by being able to tell that story and frame it in a way that makes sense to other people throughout the company, you not only have a way to to express and understand your own success to your team, but you also have a way to express it to the rest of the company so that the CFO doesn't look at your team at the end of the quarter and go, all you did was travel. What's the point? And the board doesn't look at your team and go, all they did was travel. What's the point? You're short on on budget this next year? Cool. Let the DevRel team go. They aren't contributing any real value. Because if you tell those stories, if you get those metrics across in a way that actually demonstrates the business value that you're putting forth, then whoever's at that board meeting can go, no, 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 hang on. Yes, they spent that much money, but they directly increased the awareness of the developer or the technical community that's using us. They started some awesome conversations in the community that forced us to, you know, rethink how we were approaching this new feature in product. We now have beta testers who are excited about using our product and are now spreading the word on our behalf, right? There's all of these things that you can go, no, 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 it's not just, we're not only spending money. (laughs) Here's all of these various points of value that you get as a direct result of those conversations that we're having both in person as well as online. Yeah, it strikes me as a much higher burden on the performers of a job like this mm-hmm. to make sure that you are communicating your value, yeah. you know, that yeah. it isn't just a thing that you can count. 
And how do you, uh, storytelling is exactly the right way to do it. The first thing that jumps in my head is that you better get a really good screen capture device because you are going to make sure that you grab that really qualitative, weird kind of conversation that you had deep in a Twitter DM that said, look, major influencer said a thing. Yes. And you can't get that without my work. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And that's one thing that I think so many people and so many companies even don't understand is that when you hire me, if I'm if I'm on the market to join a company full time, when you hire me, you're not only hiring me, you're hiring my entire network. And so the the interesting balance is that I need to be able to continue growing my network. And sometimes that's going to mean, hey, I was invited to speak at this conference and maybe it doesn't make sense from a company standpoint to sponsor it or for me to even attend. But if I attend this conference, that's a way for me to continue to network, to spread the word about our product with this new group of people, or even just continue to maintain my relationships with this older group of people, which may pay off in the long run. And it's that idea of it may pay off in the long run (laughs) that we have to counter with the, yes, there are things that are going to pay off in the long run, right? You ledge as a result of talking to me might three jobs from now decide to use this huge product, right? And you now work at a huge enterprise company and you are the, the biggest sale of the quarter. And that started as a result of you and I getting to know each other on this podcast, right? But that might be three years down the road. That's brilliant. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, just, awesome. Sold. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're so right. And, you know, and I think that uh, it, it makes me wonder, is there a bias then in a DevRel or community building type of situation that you, you simply have to have people with um, more years of experience? You know, so you can't come out in rookie zone and go, I'm going to leverage my network that I don't I have. I think there, there can be part of that. Um, but I would I would caution that people not only look to folks who have a huge network um, because we have to obviously be bringing in new folks. Right. We need we need new people who can who can come in and, and keep doing this. And I think part of the interesting thing is that um, as you're finding people who have those, you know, unicorn skills, if you will, who can write as well as speak, as well as code or have a technical conversation. As you're finding those people, those tend to be people who maybe their network is small right now, but they're going to instinctively and intuitively be building that network as they're traveling. And maybe they just haven't had the opportunity to do that yet. Or maybe their community and their network is limited to one specific local area because that's all they've been exposed to. But if you expose them to other areas, they'll have a network all over the world in a few years. So it's- You're building the Instagram models of the future. <laughs> yes, yes. Burke Collins said that to me, uh, that, you know, Dev- DevRel is not just about being an Instagram model. Right, so. right, exactly. I was going to say, nice callback. Um, yeah. <laughs> but but it's this idea of, you know, fostering those networks and and looking for people who you know, I couldn't care less if you're a fantastic developer. I care far more about how how your communication skills are, whether you're able to empathize with customers, um, whether you're able to be interested in in topics enough to go research, hey, how does how does Django fit in with these new topics? Or um, where is the intersection of uh, DevOps with APIs? Like 
go, go tell me, go do that research and be able to come back and tell me, Hey, so I talked to these people and I learned these things and, and here's how they connect. And there's a fascinating Venn diagram here. And we should focus on that section of people, right? Yeah. And it's primary source research, which is very different than being able to sit there and kind of grok a bunch of blog posts. Like I need to, because you wrote X, I need to talk to you about this thing that I actually care about. Right. And, and what vehicle do you use to do that? And that's where I look at, you know, like a podcast thing is like, I could read your book. I could, you know, get your newsletter and all this stuff, but I want to ask you my questions and I want to ask you the questions that matter there. And that's that network thing, you know, right. like from, from each of us who's interested in the particular little slice of the universe yeah. need to find the people that have something interesting to say about that slice that would never say that on their own. Right. And that, that's the, you know, again, that network connected tissue. Yeah. All right. So we could do this all day. And yes. I, I know that, that we're, <laughs> we're way over what I normally do. But, you know, when I get to nerding out with somebody, I, I can appreciate that's what happens. So awesome. let me shift. This is this is how we finish up here. I'm going to have sure. this, this lightning round. OK, this is critically important stuff. OK. OK. I'm geared Star up. Wars or Star Trek. Oh, Star Wars. Definitely. All right. Well, I, I do appreciate Star Trek. Absolutely. But if, but if they're up against each other, Star Wars all the way. We would not believe how much people feel they need to qualify their answer to that question. <laughs> <laughs> all right. What are you reading right now? Ooh, um, I am reading a book that I thought I was going to have right here at hand, and I don't. Um, but it's it's an interactive book, actually. Um, and Ooh. it's it's basically tackling how to uh, balance your work with personal passions, so your work passions with personal passions. Um, but it's an interactive guide. And what I mean by that is it it's almost like a workbook of sorts. And it helps you kind of figure out um, uh, your balances and why it's so difficult to balance those things. Uh, it's actually called How to Not Always Be Working. Um, it's by an author called Marley Grace. <laughs> but it's this fascinating... Uh, exercise in, you know, what are you passionate about and how many of those passions are work related and how many of those passions are personal related. And there's an overlap there often, right? Like I am, and I say this on my, on my website, like I am a community builder personally and professionally, but that's difficult when I'm building professional communities. And that's also where my personal friendships are. And there's a lot of overlap there where things intertwine. So kind of being yeah, yeah, right. you can easily be, be married more to work. about separating yeah. those yeah. two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, good yeah. boundary setting. I love it. I love it. All right, what can you not live mm. without? Coffee. Um, <laughs> and it's it's interesting. It's not even necessarily about the caffeine. It's the idea of having a few minutes and having a routine in the morning to like I make my coffee, I sit down. I look at the news, I adjust to a new day and having that hot cup of something, right? Could be tea, could be coffee, could be, I don't don't know what, but. Right. Exactly. It's the ritual. Yeah. Yes. And and those of us who are solo remote types, you know, it is that anchor to the old stand around the coffee machine. Yeah. So I completely relate to that as well. What is the last thing you Googled for work? This should be easy for you. It's probably all you'd spend oh half your day on Google for work. But, uh, okay. I don't know. How do I? Probably, I'm sure it DevRel. did. <laughs> <laughs> Had to do with DevRel or a conference or is there a way to look up my Google search history? That'd be scary. 
Oh, <laughs> uh, you probably could. Probably but... something Devrel related. That's what I've. That's, that's the problem with all the all of us exactly. nerds. You know, we're just, exactly. I don't know. Let me check. You know, I can log in right now. <laughs> okay, so I don't know if you're a fan I have of seen the a handful Office, of episodes. but so yes. you're aware of Jim and Dwight. So there, there is a classic episode where Jim is sending faxes to Dwight okay. from future Dwight. And he's messing with them and he's saying, you know, the coffee's right, poison right. today or, you know, whatever. Right. So Dwight thinks he's getting messages from future Dwight. And I like to ask people. So if I, if I gave you one sheet of paper and a big, thick Sharpie, and you got to write yourself a message. Mm-hmm. You are now future Mary and you get to fax it back to yourself. Hmm. What would you write on there? Um, this is a lesson that I've been learning this past year. Um, something along the lines of done is better than perfect or, and I have this hanging on my wall behind me. Don't go for, pe- don't go for perfection, go for better than before. Um, and this idea of, you know, I was, I was an A student in high school and had, had standards for myself. Um, and, and these days it's, it's difficult for me to, to sit there and say, no, the blog post is good enough. I don't need to stress about it for another three months. I can send it out as is, and I can always edit it down the road, but done is better than perfect. And it's better than it was before. Great answer. I love that. I like when people give me their reasons too. Sometimes people just say, yeah, accept <laughs> that job. Uh-huh. <laughs> want to expand on that? Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm a storyteller. Yes, yes I know. I like to have storytellers. <laughs> All right. Well, Mary, this has been so much fun. Um, again, where do people find you? I, I have no doubt there are copious companies on our list here and in our distro that would benefit from your your thoughts. So where do they find you to do that? Awesome. Well, Twitter is Mary underscore Grace. Uh, my DMs are open, so you can reach me on there easily. Um, my personal website with my blog is marygrace.community. Um, or you can find my company website at Persea, P-E-R-S-E-A hyphen consulting.com. Awesome. Well, it's so good to have you on. Thank you for spending so much time. Absolutely. Thanks, Ledge. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you enjoyed the show and want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, Head over to gun.io slash podcast to get in touch and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast produced by gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to gun.io and get in touch. Let us know you heard the podcast and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.